The sermon lesson is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshub the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekepherim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era. And his son Jehoianan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Our good Lord, we ask that your word given to us would be a lamp unto our feet and that it would be a light unto our path and that by it we might see Jesus, your son, 
given freely for us and that we might be changed by him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So where we are in Nehemiah is about 450 years before the birth of Jesus. And 100 years earlier before this, God's people had been conquered and taken off into exile. And the capital city of Jerusalem with its temple had been destroyed. And what's left is simply a broken down community. And Nehemiah, whose name literally means the Lord's comfort, is this movement begun by God to rebuild, to rebuild walls and to rebuild lives. And what we've seen up to this point is that it is good work. It is hard work. It's work that takes an entire community working side by side together to make it happen. And we've seen that in this good and hard work, in this communal work, there will also be opposition that presses against this good work to make sure that it's not done. And in chapter 4 was when we first met these historical figures of Sanballat and Tobiah, powerful, influential, who are working against this effort to rebuild and restore But Nehemiah and the people, they persevere through this difficulty and through this hardship and through this opposition, and they complete the rebuilding effort. So where we are right now in chapter 6 is the main work of rebuilding these walls is done, and they've made it through, and it's been this great story of a good work that has been done with God's help, and so they could celebrate. They've arrived. They've passed through all difficulties and they can simply rest. Right? Maybe not so fast. There's something here that I think is important for us to see. And I actually thought about skipping over this because we've already gone through Sanbala and Tobiah. We've already worked through this topic of, of perseverance and opposition. But there's something important here that I, I think it's for us to see. Because there's this question that we're faced with that the text brings up to us. And it's what do we do? What do we do when after passing through one major difficulty, we simply find that on the other side, more difficulties await us? This is the reality that every one of us faces. There are no exceptions to this rule and this way of life. And so what I want to talk about this morning is really twofold. Is that when, we're, when the going gets rough, again, we need perspective and we need perseverance. So first, perspective. So in 1972, there was a Uruguayan rugby team that was flying to their next match and they crashed over the Andes Mountains. And there were some who died on impact. There were some who died shortly after. But this small group of people is left in a life-threatening situation where they've got no food. They've got no resources. They're in sub-zero temperatures. They have a radio that can't call out. But they hear other people calling in on the radio. And after nine days, what they hear is this message of, of people calling off the search for This group. And so they're in the middle of the nowhere, in the middle of these mountains, freezing, and they hear this news that there's no one looking for them anymore. People have given up. And after even some more people in the plane freeze to death, there's these two 
that set out with the hopes of finding help, finding a village, finding resources. And there's one particular mountain that they climb with with the hopes that on, on the other side of that mountain, there is going to be a village. There is going to be resources. They are going to be able to reach the top and look down and see that help is just a simple short walk away. But when they get to the top, they look out, they're exhausted. All they see is mountains as far as the eye can see. And one of the, one of the men says to the other, he looks out and he says, mountains, nothing but mountains. We've had it. I think we all know some of what that feels like to have, have worked and have climbed and have gotten to this place where we say, if I can just get over this mountain. And then we, we get through that difficulty and only to find looking out, there are cascading mountains of more difficulties that await us on the other side. And, and the perspective that we often bring to life is this perspective, that if we can just make it through this difficulty, whatever it is, on the other side of that, everything will be okay. If we can just get over this one mountain, life will be fine. Life will be secure. If we can just get past this court date, if I can just get through these medical scans, if I can just get through this job interview or this season of life with kids, or if I can just get through this sermon, (laughs) everything's going to be fine. But the more life we live, the more difficulties we face, the more mountains we get over, the more we realize that life doesn't work that way. Life isn't just this one big mountain that we climb up to the top with all of our effort and we plant our flag and we say, we have arrived. No more difficulties. I have conquered. The community in Jerusalem has just climbed up a mountain that nobody thought, not even themselves thought that they could climb and thought they could conquer. But these walls have been, comp- have been built up again in 52 days And there's a temptation to think, we've done the difficult work and now it's just smooth sailing from here. But Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem are at it again. Four times. There's a persistence that we're meant to see in this passage. a, A relentlessness of coming after Nehemiah and this people and this work they're trying to do. Four times they send messages trying to get Nehemiah to come out and meet with this group of people so they can do who knows what to him. And each time he says, no, I am doing a good work. I'm not coming out to meet you. And this this relentlessness doesn't give up. The fifth time they send this open letter to Nehemiah. Now, an open letter would be a specific message that is meant for this one person, but it's a public letter so that Everyone is meant to be able to read it so that as this message gets delivered to Nehemiah, all the people are going to hear what it has to say. And it's this in verse 6. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel against the king of Persia. And that's why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you want to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king 
in Judah. And now the king is going to hear these reports. So now what do you think? Now come and talk to us. Don't miss the gravity of what's happening here. This king that they're talking about is one of the most powerful people in the entire known world. The king of Persia. He is the one to whom Nehemiah was the cupbearer to. He is the one who sent Nehemiah to come back to help rebuild these walls as his agent. And so while Sanballat and Tobiah might not be able to do anything against Nehemiah in this work, the king of Persia has all the power to crush this work and to crush this traitor in Nehemiah. And so the stakes are high. This false report, if it gets back to this king, there's nothing they can do to stop it. Verse 9, Nehemiah says, They wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands will drop from this work and it will not be done. So notice the big picture of what's happening. They've just climbed this one mountain and they've gotten over it with God's help and now they come to another mountain that just seems bigger. Now the king of Persia might come and destroy everything that we have sought to rebuild and might come after me as well. Here's where it comes to us personally. Experiencing one difficulty after another is not the exception of life. It's the norm. The the Apostle Peter, I love these words. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. I often think we go through difficulties and and we're surprised by them. But, but Scripture's guiding us in another way, trying to change our perspective and our approaching life as seeing not just getting through one mountain, but seeing a journey through mountain ranges. A life that doesn't... He's trying to move us from saying it, this perspective that says, if I can just get through this difficulty, everything will be okay, to a life that says difficulties, serious and scary ones are difficult. And it's not as much of, of getting to the top of the mountain as, as knowing the God of the mountains who is with me and for me. Which brings us to our second point. After this opening up and shifting of perspective happens, we need perseverance to be able to press on. Nehemiah is put in a situation that is out of his control. He cannot use his resources to stabilize this. There are things that are... He cannot control a report that gets to the king and what the king does. It is out of his hands. He's put in a situation where he is helpless. And this is an important part of life. Because as much as we try to harness science and technology and medicine and knowledge to try to control life in order to move towards our desired outcomes, there is simply so much that we cannot control. And part of persevering is coming to that realization that we are in a a place in which we need great help. And the question is, where do you turn? Think about maybe for a moment what you're up against. What are the situations and circumstances that you face in life that 
you are helpless to change. Difficulties that are beyond your ability to maneuver circumstances. You're, you're in situations that you're asked the question, where do you turn? Ed Welch in his book on fear called Running Scared, he makes this great point. He said, the issue isn't so much, isn't so much whether or not we are afraid and worry. Scripture actually assumes that we will be afraid and anxious. But what's important is where we turn or to whom we turn when we are afraid. Our prayers, the people that we do every week, is I think one of our richest times together. And there was a time... Um, that stuck in my mind, and it was years ago, and it was after Koshal, shortly after Koshal was baptized, and he offered up off this prayer, and it's, it stuck with me. Something along the lines of, there's so, Lord, there's so many other places that we look to for help. Help us turn to you first. And I remember when he prayed that, it was like this, cut to the heart and, and realizing in my own life how quick I am to turn to these other places and see the Lord as somewhat of a last resort, this emergency kit that I turn to when all of my resources run out. And his prayer was a simple reminder of where do we turn to first? Nehemiah verse 9, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. There, there is this turning to the Lord, first and foremost, saying, I, I can't control what the king of Persia thinks about any of this. I can't keep him away. I, I can't keep him from thinking that I'm a traitor. I, I can't control any of this. Lord, help. And then he, he doesn't just wait. He, and he, do, he doesn't go into fix-it mode. He doesn't just wait. He keeps working for the good of this people that he is giving his life towards. We see this in verse 3. I'm doing a great work. I'm not going to come down. Why should this work stop? He, he, when faced with circumstances that are out of his control, he turns to the Lord and he puts his hand to the plow and says, I'm going to keep working for good until something happens. And the result, the work keeps on and the work gets done. In verse 16, when all our enemies heard it, all the nations were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So even then, it's another mountain that has been climbed, coming to this place where the work gets done, even in light of this opposition. And so, does his story end happily ever after, even there? How, did you notice? Did you see how the passage ends? Verse 19. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. And before that, there are people in his own community trying to trick him and nobles against him and more letters with threats. So even it's almost like he, he gets to the top of another mountain and then he comes to that and sees that there are simply more awaiting him. It's just relentless. The picture I gave earlier from the movie Alive, it's, um, they made a movie out of this account. I've never seen it, but I read about it in a blog post. <laughs> um, it was a blog post that Brent Weatherly wrote 
on April 13th in 2016, one of our elders here and a dear, dear friend. Uh, he was up against a cancer that he could not control, that he was powerless to subdue. And he remembered this picture. Brent loved movies and loved clips. And he, he remembered this, this picture of them at the top of the mountain before they made it to their rescue. And Brent, Brent said, they could have just turned back. And I could abandon my hope and despair. But it's only by remembering that Christ is with me that I carry on with joy and purpose now. Now, what, what many of you may not realize is those words came on the, the eve of a major surgery. So he was thinking of that scene the night before he was supposed to have a major surgery, the biggest of his life, to remove the cancer that was inside of him. He looked at this, and this is this. If, if I could just get over this mountain, if I could just get this cancer outside of my body, he'd be on his way to recovery. But when he woke up, he got very different news. The tumor couldn't be taken out. And there were more. He, he looked up and there were just mountains and mountains and mountains. And he wrote this two days later on April 15th. He said, I lie here in my hospital bed and it's 4 a.m. And I await the, doc, the arrival of the doctor sometime this morning to give me the news of what's next. This is the height of uncertainty. I told my family that I feel like I've been clinging to a rope and dangling from a cliff. But the rope has many knots to which I cling, but with every bit of bad news, I, I slip to the next knot and fear for how many knots remain. But I forget that it's not me clinging to a rope, but Christ clinging to me. He, he got something about how life works and about the character of our God, that it's not even in our perseverance, but it is in God's perseverance. It's not in our strength and ability to hold on tightly, but it is in the perseverance and strength of someone else. Someone who says, not a bird from the sky will fall without the will of your Father in heaven. And you are much greater value than any bird, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. There is a work that he is doing to rescue us that he will not stop no matter what the opposition is because that's where our hope is really found. And it made me think about the mountains that Jesus faced in his own life. And it made me think about the final mountain that he faced on the night of his betrayal, on the night where he looked up in the darkness alone with his disciples, thinking about this Everest that was set before him. And we read that he began to be sorrowful and greatly troubled. And he looked to his disciples at the sight of this, this mountain and he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. And then he comes back. His disciples are sleeping. 
And going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, if there's any way around this mountain, let me find it. Let me go there, yet not as I will, but as you will. Disciples are still sleeping, and he went away, came back, found them, prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus would climb this mountain, this Everest that he so dreaded, and at the top would not be this flag of victory that says, I have conquered, but a cross of defeat and death and destruction and humiliation. But it's, it's in this defeat that is in our victory. It's in this condemnation that is, in, that is our justification. It's in His death that is in our life. And as we look at our own mountains, our, our great hope is in the Lord Himself. This is, not, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Our great hope in life is not in our own perseverance, which is important, but it's, it's in the perseverance of the one who said, I'm, I'm going to do this for the people that I love. And, and our labor here and now is spreading the good news of what he has done for us. And it's working with our hands and our words and our hearts and our lives this work of rebuilding Jesus' kingdom coming here in our midst to bring restoration. And so our hope is not just making it through one more difficulty, but it's in the God who is with us and for us. One day there will be no more mountains to climb. But until then, when the going gets rough again and again, when life won't let up, When all we look out and see is more mountains, our call is to turn to the Lord and to keep persevering in this good work. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that in your Son, you you cling to us, you, you hold on to us, you know how many hairs are on our head, you say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you and the work that is too difficult for us you have accomplished on our behalf with this good news of Jesus's defeat of death through his own death resonate with our hearts and our minds and send us out with new joy with new strength to give of ourselves for the good of others and it's in your name we pray amen